The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am Thomas Nagley. I'm here with Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V. And he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you this evening? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing there? Just the same, Father. It's good to see you. Yes, great to be back for another week. Uh, several things to talk about uh, tonight. Father, first of all, a happy feast day to you, a very blessed feast day to you of the uh, North American Martyrs. We plan to have more about, uh, more about that later in the show. Well, certainly, Tom. Uh, thank you. I wish you the same. Yes. Very and, good. Uh, we have some prayer intentions on this, yeah. on this feast day, certainly. Sure. Uh, to uh, ask our beloved North American Martyrs to put a good word in, uh, <laughs> in heaven for uh, Paul Riley and his family. Paul's suffering. He's had some setbacks recently, so please pray for Paul. He was severely injured in an automobile accident. Um, struck by a truck, actually, as he was assisting uh, someone else on the road. So, and uh, please also pray for Joe Barry. I understand that Joe had a had a stroke. He's in New York now. I understand. And pray for our dear Lori and Nancy, okay. and also for Marianne, who will be undergoing uh, surgery um, this week. Pray, pray for uh, Phyllis Rivenbark also who was hospitalized recently. Hopefully she's home by now. And uh, pray for the intentions of Mary Nina. I receive a text message periodically from Mary Nina. She's over in the area of um, Armenia and Turkey. And I, I know she has loved ones who have suffered greatly, even perished in the, in the, um, the uh, earthquake there recently. Others lost everything and it's a, it's a very tough existence, and she's asking for prayers for so many people because she because she knows we pray, and uh, I've been keeping her and her intentions my prayer, and I ask you to do so also, and um, uh, pray for the recently deceased uh, Teresa Lamb, uh, pray for Jimmy Evans and Richard Rentschler, so many others. It's impossible to mention all of those who are ill and all those who are deceased. Loved ones of ours, but God knows who they are. We commend them to our Lady's Immaculate Heart, and she, she keeps them real clearly close there. So we can commend uh, all of those in her Immaculate Heart that she's holding for us. Uh, all of our dear ones, we can ask uh, God's mercy through her. And uh, also, please pray for our United States of America. Our country's, well, what can I say? It's... it's uh, tragic to see what's happening to our country now. And uh, 
Pray for the uh, J6 prisoners, the political prisoners, who are now languishing and suffering in the uh, in the um, prisons of uh, the federal prisons right now. Um, some for doing no more than going through an open doorway, looking to use a restroom, uh, and um, sent to prison for years for that. Incredible, but true. So anyway, uh, please uh, pray for them all. Very good. We can certainly do that, Father. Thank you. Uh, several topics we wanted to talk about tonight. One was uh, in regards to our last program. We uh, covered some uh, very controversial topics of uh, dancing, the Catholic Church's uh, position on, on dancing, dancing picnics and excursions, right? That's right. Dancing picnics and excursions, yes. Um, but any, any follow-ups there, Father? I know you said that you uh, intended to do some more research on this question. I know a lot of our viewers were uh, very interested to hear if you had any uh, Follow-up thoughts on that. Uh, I think it piqued a lot of a lot of people's interest, so they're excited. Well, as to I mentioned, Tom, I was kind of struck by the the dichotomy between what was actually said and what was actually done. Because in America, I mean, the dances pretty much continued unabated, uh, and um, the Bishop of Covington, uh, Brosart, wrote a letter to the editor here in Cincinnati, uh, the Cincinnati Telegraph, saying that the command from the Vatican was being misrepresented and watered down. He objected to that, right? Um, so, I mean, you, you have the command as it's given, uh, the 1916 command of the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory, uh, which itself referred to the 1839 uh, command of the Third Council of Baltimore, which condemned also excursions and picnics as well, you know. Um, um, something else that struck me was the, um, the, 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 the virgins. You know, there are those who insisted on interpreting this absolutely strictly as an, a carte blanche blanket condemnation and prohibition against all social dancing. And others who said, no, uh, the concern is for certain aspects of this that are uh, not in themselves sinful, but our occasions of sin, and if we can minimize the occasions of sin, then the, there's nothing wrong with dancing in itself, right? Even social dancing. So you had these two schools of thought which were very much opposed to each other. And I think they're still there today, as a matter of fact. Um, <clears throat> somebody suggested that, uh, when I, I mentioned on the air last time, that there is a... Uh, reference there is a reference in the 1839 decree of the third council of baltimore uh, condemning excursions and picnics especially near highly populated areas and i expressed the thought i wonder what was going on back then that would make them so odious that a congregation of the vatican would uh, and that the plenary council of baltimore here in the united states would find it uh, necessary to uh, to suppress them and uh, somebody recently suggested, as you know, that uh, perhaps involved in this, I don't know what evidence there is for it, but it seems to be a fact that simultaneously, back in the early 1800s, uh, drugs, various drugs were coming into vogue that were not uh, illegal. And people were actually getting, especially in like a higher society, were getting into these drugs. Cocaine. I mean, Coca-Cola was actually Coca-Cola, right? <laughs> Honestly. And um, 
Let's see, uh, they're using uh, the opium den, dens of England were very, very well known. Um, so drugs were coming into our society here, I, I understand. They were not illegal, and uh, because um, they were available and, uh, and legal, people were beginning to use them more and more, especially in the so-called social circles that involved social dancing. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, the suggestion was made that, <clears throat> well, perhaps the church, recognizing the evils of this, <clears throat> wanted to suppress the occasions of this, the social dances, when these drugs would uh, be employed. But the church was also hampered because they were still legal. And so if she spoke out against something that was considered legal and condemned that, um, that maybe there would be some repercussions about that, or maybe a backlash, yes. Um, so it's an interesting suggestion, anyway, that this is the church's uh, recognition of a, of a developing social problem and an attempt to address it in kind of a, an oblique way. I don't know. To remove the occasions of these things, uh, of these drugs being used even in social gatherings. Um, one thing is, is for a fact, though. Someone, point, someone else pointed this out. I thought it was a good point. Uh, we have the condemnation by the Sacred Congregation of the Consistory in 1916. What happened in the next decade? Here. I mean, this condemnation was directed to the Catholics here in the United States of America. What happened in the United States of America in the very next, next decade? The Roaring Twenties, right? Dance halls, flappers. But Charleston, right? Uh, prohibition, <clears throat> uh, alcohol running, uh, the Kennedy family getting rich from that, and um, you know, it, when I when I realized, my goodness, it was just a few years away after this prohibition <clears throat> that we saw all of that break into American society with a vengeance, you know, <clears throat> and you realize where this social dancing thing went there, these, mm -hmm. these, these wild dance halls uh, with this uh, just profligacy and this almost reckless abandon. I don't know if, if, the, if the, the, the fathers of the council of the consistory, uh, the congregation of the consistory could have predicted the Roaring Twenties, but it certainly is ironic that no sooner had they leveled that prohibition against the social dan dis dancing for Catholics, telling them, stay away, these places are dangerous, then suddenly we plunge uh, the United States of America into the Roaring Twenties, yeah. when this became a thing, a very big thing. And of course, we know how it ended with the crash, right? Uh, and that's what happens when people go wild. They end up crashing and burning. And so they went from one extreme to another, right? Um, so I, I thought that was an ironic series of, uh, of events uh, and see that where that 1916 warning appears, you know. Now we had our parish picnic uh, last Sunday afternoon. Uh, I don't think we're all excommunicated for that. <laughs> I didn't see any trace of the things that we were warned about as being... Um, uh, occasions of sin, quite the, quite the contrary. And I don't think 
anything in that would have violated any of the church prescriptions, really, whatsoever. Um, it was a very family affair, very family-oriented affair. And it gave our young people a, an opportunity to socialize with each other in a very good way, uh, in a way that they would have a hard time finding just about anywhere else in the world right now. Yeah. So uh, I do think that there is a great um, benefit to be gained by... Um, there was no dancing, though. <laughs> there was no dancing. There was no dancing. So uh, in any case, one thing that I've taken away from it, though, is that... Um, I think in, in, even in certain types of dances uh, that would be considered folk dances these days or cultural dances, uh, there's entered in quite a bit of uh, touchy stuff, you know, arm grabbing and even, you know, touching in various ways, which I think the church would definitely frown upon. Uh, it's a little too familiar. Uh, the type of thing, for example, I mean, you know, now you may have a square dance, okay? And the square dance, uh, the dancers are <clears throat> swinging each other by the waist and so on. And you ask yourself, <clears throat> well, in ordinary uh, social concourse, <clears throat> would it be for really considered appropriate for a young man and a young woman to do that uh, if they just met on a, you know, in a hallway or on a sidewalk or something? How inappropriate that would seem why why then does it seem okay on a dance floor to do that repeatedly you know uh, to be making that physical contact um, the other aspect of it is that um, a lot of these these dance social dances revolve around romance you know the, the cultural dances of the past didn't revolve around romance but a lot of these dances and these songs these days uh, really do um, basically concentrate on the theme of romance. And that's, uh, you know, it's, I can see why the church definitely would say this is not necessarily a just a, a wholesome, neutral setting, you know. Um, so in, anyway, uh, you know, the more I, I, I review the, the prohibitions of the church, uh, the more I, I see that it needs to be applied with more um, attention and more seriousness than it has. And I think uh, perhaps the clergy, again, I'm in no position to judge them, but the clergy of the past might have been a little, a little lax about uh, taking that seriously, just because this is America. <laughs> you know. um, uh, there were warn warnings about festivals and bazaars, too. Right? And, of course, festivals and bazaars were going on through the 40s and 50s and so on, 50s and 60s, certainly. Uh, so, uh, again, I, I think this needs to be revisited, and I'm actually glad it came up. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, to be uh, aware of these things. Okay, very good. Well, uh, let's dance on to the next subject then, Father. Um, we have, uh, we've noticed a, a theme with a lot of our uh, questioners, a lot of our a lot of the emails that we get, um, even a lot of our, our viewers, um, a lot of those maybe who are uh, coming from the Novus Ordo um, or for whatever reason have been baptized in the Novus Ordo and now, you know, want to begin practicing the traditional Catholic faith, uh, begin attending, receiving sacraments at a traditional Catholic chapel. Um, but the question that comes up a lot is, what of their Novus Ordo baptism? 
Um, a lot of our, our viewers are, are just curious about that. Um, is there any kind of policy that, that someone coming from the Novus Ordo sh should follow? Does it totally just vary on a case-by-case -case basis? Um, are there any kind of principles that someone can, can apply to their Novus Ordo baptism in order to determine the validity of it? What, what should someone do? In that case, well, that's a good question. And when uh, people come from the a Novasoro baptism and want to become a member of one of our one of our chapel, chapels, um, we we do have to take a look at how they were baptized. It's too important to just assume that all is well. I mean, if you look at the new rite of baptism that came out in the 1970s, it actually does have the valid valid form for baptizing. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, they say. They'd add Amen, understand? but that would not invalidate the form, unless they have some heretical purpose for adding the Amen. But uh, it's not there in the traditional form of the Roman Rite, simply because <clears throat> Amen generally has a sense of conclusion. And um, in this case, baptism is just the beginning. <laughs> it's not the conclusion. And doesn't require an, an amen from either the godparents or from the little baby being baptized. Um, but in any case, uh, it wouldn't invalidate it. Um, the problem comes in, though, that uh, you you need a matter of form and intention. And uh, even though the matter and the form, as given in the new rite uh, baptism, uh, called the Christian the rite of Christian initiation, mm -hmm. you know. That already gives you some warning as to what their intention are with the right might be with the with the right itself, but um, um, the matter and the form at least are valid in themselves. The intention, well, uh, is this really Christian initiation? What do they mean by that? And uh, what does the individual minister believe when he's actually applying it? Does he have a contrary intention? Uh, we've seen videotapes of baptism, novicero baptisms done by clergymen, uh, their clergymen, priests, and deacons. Uh, we've even seen a deacon explaining to the people before the baptism took place that the church used to believe in original sin, but we don't believe that anymore, quote unquote. Now we're just, you know, welcoming Walter into the community, sort of like initiating him into the club, you know. Well, that would, uh, I think, may warrant a conditional baptism, to say the least. But um, some have suggested, by the way, that the, uh, the sort of preamble to the rite of baptism in the Novus Ordo ritual uh, calls it into question. Some suggest that just that, that uh, those words describing the baptismal rite in the Novus Ordo words, um, do raise the question about whether this is really a valid baptism. Um, well, perhaps that needs to be studied. One thing is for sure, that in the, in the 200s, <clears throat> the Church did have this question proposed about the need to conditionally baptize those, or rebaptize those, who were coming from heretical sects. And there were heretical sects, Gnostic sects even, <coughs> which baptized. And when people who were baptized into Gnostic sects realized that they had made a terrible mistake, they wanted to enter the true church. And the question arose then, do those people have to be 
conditionally baptized or to even just baptized absolutely because the baptism in the in the non-Catholic sect was considered to be invalid or doubtfully valid. And the church actually answered that question very severely, I might add, saying that if the, uh, the right of baptism, even in the non-Catholic sect, um, included the right matter in the right form, as recognized by the church, then it was to be interpreted that the intention was to at least do as the church did, at least what the church did. And those baptisms were not to be repeated. And they didn't say should not be, they said were not to be repeated. So uh, the church was actually very severe about those who would lightly conditionally baptize, uh, re-baptize, uh, conditionally baptize those who were baptized outside the church. Um, and so she would say, have to scrutinize what took place, see if the matter and the form and the corresponding intention were there, at least if there was not a, a, a contrary intention. Um, and if so, if, if all were present, then you cannot conditionally baptize. Now, you, you know, you look at various points of the church's history and you look at authoritative statements and you look at the statement of the Holy Office with regard to Baptisms done in Oceania, Oceania, in missions by Methodists, mm -hmm. and there you have uh, a case where a, a Methodist minister would get up and actually announce, "We don't believe in original sin as the Romanists do," and uh, really the baptism has no more than an external effect; it doesn't really have an internal effect on the soul. And then he would go ahead and baptize, matter and, and form. He would use the statement of the baptism. A baptismal form and pour the water. And so the question came before the Holy Office in Rome uh, from our Catholic missionaries who were faced with the question of now these people, baptized Methodists, now wanting to become Catholic, should they be conditionally baptized or not? And the Holy Office actually answered no. The Holy Office answered since they used the correct matter and form, again, <laughs> that is the primary indication that even though they did not have the, the, the theology of the Catholic Church in understanding <clears throat> the actual res sacramenti, the actual uh, <clears throat> benefit of the sacrament, they, they still had the intention to at least outwardly do what the Catholic Church does, and that is the key. So um, this is all very interesting for priests in our day now dealing with this very question. And again, to complicate matters, uh, we recently heard of uh, some Novosoto priest out in Arizona, I think it was, who had been baptizing children for decades and um, basically uh, making up his own form. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, now even the Novosoto church is saying, there are thousands of baptisms performed by this priest that are invalid baptisms. We've got to track these people down and inform them. And shortly thereafter, there came another case where a priest in Michigan, a Novosoro priest, uh, basically admitted the same thing. Yeah. And um, so in this sort of uh, Wild West, uh, Novosoro modernist uh, milieu, um, it really is necessary to take a good look, but it's not always possible in taking a good look to get the good answers you need to know well, what exactly what was done, what was said, um, 
not only for the baptism, the form, but about the baptism by the person doing it. Um, did he actually have an intention to, to act contrary to the Catholic Church? Um, but again, I mean, there, there's still the principle that if the water is poured in the correct matter, I'm sorry, if the water is poured in the correct form is stated, that uh, the church's presumption is in favor of the baptism. And decidedly so. So there has to be a pretty good reason to proceed with uh, conditional baptism. I'd say in these days, um, especially because it has come to light that uh, not only with these two priests, one in Arizona, the other in Michigan, admitting that they've been falsifying the words of baptism, but also in so many instances we've heard about uh, and that were reported um, back even in the 80s and 90s about uh, priests who just got the idea, well, I'm going to uh, make, come up with something much more relevant of my own devising um, there was just a lot of uh, improvising going on. And uh, that might well be going on with regard to the Novus Ordo clergy right now. We just don't really know. Mm. Uh, if there's a slight doubt, as, as uh, the, theolo the immoral theologian Primer says, even a slight doubt can justify uh, conditionally baptizing. If there's a slight doubt on the part of the priest, if there's a slight doubt on the part of the one baptized, or the parents, for example, if they still have this uneasiness because of the gravity of it, um, that could justify conditionally, conditionally baptizing. Um, so un unless uh, I can certify, you know, that a, a baptism really was done correctly, uh, I will proceed to conditionally baptize. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Father, it really I mean, it sounds like... Um seeing as how this is such an important matter, it seems like it really should be addressed on a case-by-case -case basis and then any... any uh, yeah, it does have to be addressed on a case-by-case -case basis. Any, anyone who has been baptized in the Novus Ordo wishing to come to a, mm. our, one of the traditional chapels should first speak with the, the priest and actually sit down and meet mm. with them and go over this before they begin receiving the sacraments. Mm. Well, one thing they can do already, find their baptismal certificate. Uh, you know, try to Determine was the priest who baptized them. I mean, was he, did he have the Catholic faith, or was he a, a radical liberal? Um, that's not altogether impossible to, to find these days. Yeah. Um, and uh, talk to your godparents, assuming they're still alive, and uh, see if the godparents can testify that what was done was according to the the real, you know, the, the right itself, the correct right. Yeah. Um, so when you come to talk to a traditional priest about this, have what information you can find, or at least have the means for the priest himself to pursue uh, looking for the information he needs. You know? mm -hmm. But one thing's for sure, the ultimate result has to be that you have certitude about the validity of your baptism, and uh, that the priest who's going to be giving you the sacraments has the necessary certitude with regard to the validity of your baptism. Mm -hmm. yeah. A certitude commensurate to the importance of the uh, of yeah. the, the sacrament itself, right? Yeah. Uh, not so easy to do. There are those who consider it almost impossible to get such 
information these days, but I, I think it is possible to get that information. Um, not always, but there are occasions when it, it can be gotten. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, very helpful. Thank you, Father. That's, uh, that's very good. Uh, we wanted to uh, also mention uh, something that, that came our way in regards to uh, some, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you mentioned our, our country, prayers needed for our country. There's um, obviously a big ongoing battle now on the, on the abortion issue. And um, someone, a uh, faithful viewer, brought it to our attention that uh, some uh, various billboards have, have uh, been posted by some uh, far left uh, shout your abortion group. Uh, they, they've begun posting uh, various billboards. Uh, some of them say such things as, uh, quote, God's plan includes abortion. Uh, there's a couple other ones. They say that uh, uh, abortion is okay. You know what's right for you. Another billboard says abortion is okay. You are loved. Um, and this Shout Your Abortion group, they, they've begun placing a lot of these billboards in um, a lot of more pro-life states. Uh, we have, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, and Tennessee. Uh, they say they, they've posted a lot of these on the way on highways leading to Illinois, um, mm. kind of directing people there to to, to get. Oh, their, because their, of Illinois' liberal abortion laws. Yeah. 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 But by the way, what, what, do you, like these, um, what do you think about about these billboards that, that are going up? Well, I think they're revealing. And they say abortion. Uh, God's plan, God's plan includes abortion. Includes abortion. Okay. Okay, well, think about that for a minute. Okay. What does that really mean? Well, God's plan for creation included the fall of mankind. God's plan for creation included the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. God's plan for creation included all of this, right? Because creation is not God, not perfect. Uh, not perfect goodness, and therefore it is uh, defectible. And so God created a defectible creation. All creatures, by their nature, are defectible. If you're going to have creatures, they are going to be not defective as God created them, but defectible. And that was all part of God's plan. And you have all manner of evil, which you might say God allowed for in the overall plan. So when they say God's plan includes abortion, you might say God's plan includes that, that, and so many other horrible, evil things mm -hmm. because of the defectiveness and sinfulness of mankind. And yet God, because of his power, can overcome all of these things. And he will overcome all of these things by the greater good of the salvation of so many souls. But it doesn't make it any less evil. Evil is still evil. It is still condemned. It is still damnable. And, uh, and so it is with abortion. Um, if we agreed with their, um, the, the words of their statement, just the bald meaning of it, in a theological sense, we could say, well, yes, God's plan did allow for or include the evils of our own weaknesses and our failures. And abortion is a prime example of that. But it's still condemned and it's still evil. Mm -hmm. right? So that certainly is not a justification. I would say if they think that's a justification of it, 
then I would ask who their God is. You know, if their God includes abortion in his plan as something good and right, then I'd say then their God is the devil, right? He's the only one who could approve something so monstrous and so horrible. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, one other thing I would say to these people is, are you, are you telling me, you're trying to tell me and all the people uh, who are going to see your sign that they're actually supposed to think that God gives life so that we can destroy it. That God gives life for that, so that we can destroy it. Because that's the implication of that. If they think that's all part of God's divine plan, and therefore something good, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's evil. Mm -hmm. And the other things they say too, what are the other things they say? Uh, they say uh, that abortion is okay, you know what's right for you, and uh, abortion is okay, you are loved. Okay. So, you see, God's plan completely left uh, the, shelter, the abortion people. Uh, suddenly, it's, you know what's right for you. You yeah. decide. Be your yeah. own God, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what's right for you. Well, there you go. You're, you have the existentialists speaking there. You make up your own rules as to far, far as what is, what is true for you is what, uh, again, pleases you and serves your purpose, and what is false for you is what uh, crosses your purpose. What is good for you is what, again, makes you happy, and what is bad for you is what makes you sad. And you are the God of your own little universe, and you decide this for yourself. That's the message there. Mm -hmm. And if people think like that, they'll agree with it. Mm -hmm. Hopefully not too many will think like it. I fear that there are many who will actually agree with that message. Yeah. And what's the other one there? Uh, abortion is okay, you are loved. And then they have... Uh... Abortion is okay, you are loved. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what, what about the child? Yeah. It's okay to abort your child because you are loved. Yeah. The ch nothing about the child being loved. That, mm -hmm. that doesn't count. Right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's revealing too. Uh, the most they can say is that abortion is okay. They can never uh, <coughs> say that, that abortion is a, is a good thing. The very most they can, they can say, uh, they, the farthest well, they can get to you it. You notice that. Okay. Yeah. They say it's just okay. Yeah, it's, it's okay. okay. But these are the shout your abortion people. Yeah. Since yeah. when did abortion become something to shout about? To boast about, right? Well, I mean, have we come that far? Are we so deranged that, yeah. that people are actually in the streets shouting about their abortion? Mm -hmm. Well, they they guise this father under uh, the the aspect of, of charity. They're they're trying to say you know that they're being charitable towards the neighbor. They it's it's the loving thing to do. They uh, they put a lot of these billboards on on Interstate 55, uh, which I guess lead, leads toward toward Illinois, where, where a lot of abortions take place, and they. Uh, they, this, this Shout Your Abortion group said that uh, a lot of people traveling on this I-55 says, quote, they, they probably already are in a difficult situation, to say the least. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, another quote here, it feels really good to think that we could have made somebody's experience just a little bit easier. Yeah. Going to the right place, right? Charitable, very uh, compassionate. They should call it I-666, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, that is so sad. I mean, there should be billboards put along I-55. Warning people, you know, they're entering a state that murders babies mm -hmm. and uh, that actually tell the truth. Yeah. Uh, and, and not in a, in, a, in a mean way, but just uh, I'm talking about a way that will be impactful to those who have a child to make them realize uh, the gravity, the, the seriousness of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And hopefully 
give them pause to reflect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. But these, uh, this is what should be there. These these billboards, I, I guess, have been a really big hit, Father, and they even started a uh, a GoFundMe page for them, and I guess exceeded their their goal that they uh, had mm -hmm. had intended to uh, the funds they had intended to raise for this. They they've exceeded that, um, so I guess they're. Um, well, I mean, you have to realize the entire uh, ligament crowd, the so-called LGBT crowd, the, all of the pedophiles, they're all behind this. Oh, yeah. Because for them, none of this is about giving life. No. And uh, every time a child is born, it's almost like an affront to them. Yeah. So if they can uh, rip a child from the womb and destroy the life, it, it actually is a statement in their favor that they are right in realizing that all of this behavior is not about giving life. Abortion is the ultimate statement that reproduction is not about reproduction. <laughs> it's about gratification. Yeah. Um, so they like to refer to these things as freedom of reproduction. And every word in there is a lie. <laughs> you know, uh, It's a complete lie. Yeah. So, uh, in any case, it's a very evil thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, but can I say, we, we, by the way, we, we know some men who are very busy right now trying to put up billboards uh, that are trying to convince people to take a good look at this, taking a good look and educate themselves uh, about what is really happening with this abortion question. Yeah. Um, and um, I think they're doing a real good job of this. Um, and up I mean, they've, they've exceeded their goals as far as fundraising, too. Hopefully, we'll be seeing some of their boards going up, just urging people to uh, not, not be deceived by the propaganda, by the pro-abortion propaganda, because there is propaganda. I mean, just as an example, Tom, how many times have you heard that abortion has to be legal to protect the mother's life yeah. and the mother's health? Over and over and over again, we hear abortion has to be legal because we have to protect women and we have to save mothers' lives. And if you if you don't have uh, if you don't have legal abortion, women are going to die because of that. Right? Yeah. This is what we're told. Yeah. But you know what? <clears throat> the the Guttmacher, the Ellen Guttmacher Institute, and the rest of these pro-abortion outfits that work with pro-parenthood. They actually publish statistics uh, documenting the reasons why people sought abortions year after year after year. And you look at those statistics and you find that fully 90% of the abortions performed are performed not to save a mother's life or health. It had nothing to do with a mother's life or health. It was to save the mother's lifestyle. It was all about her lifestyle. And the baby just didn't fit in her lifestyle. So the baby had to die. It's not about saving a mother's life. It's about conserving her lifestyle, which often involves relations, conceiving children, and aborting them. And that's part of her lifestyle now. Yeah. It's a massive lie. And yet, People are willing to, all too willing to buy into it. How, yeah. how tragic that is. Huh? Yeah. I, I just well, to, in any case, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a burning just, issue right now. I just want to read one other thing from this article, Father, because I think it's, it's revealing in regards to this uh, Shout Your Abortion group. It says they were founded in 2015. 
on the theory that pro-life sentiment is sustained by simple ignorance of the experiences and perspectives of women who have abortions and that publicizing positive abortion stories would turn the tide for choice. So, um, I just, I thought that was kind of, um, Well, if you have like, women out on the street shouting their abortion, they're trying to shout down their consciences. Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's why they have to shout so loud. Yeah. Very sad. Um, Father, any other current events going on, though, that you wanted to mention? Oh, lots of current yeah. events. Huh? <laughs> I mean, uh, my goodness, we're seeing what's going on in, the, in Ukraine right now, right? Where uh, Zelensky, he was Jewish, right? Zelensky. Um, is actually in, in, enlisting witches, uh, practitioners of the occult arts, to uh, cast their spells against Russia. Mm-hmm. It's come to that with the Ukraine, okay? We're sending billions and billions of dollars to Ukraine, and the, the man who's leading the, the war effort against Russia is actually hiring witches to uh, curse Russia. And this is going to, we're, we're, we're sending tanks and, and they're enlisting witches to, do, to hurl these things against Russia. This is the war effort that the Ukrainians have going on right now. I feel so awful for those poor people. They are in the clutches of this. And you hear stories about them just dragging men and children even uh, and sending them into what, what is now being called the, the meat grinder where life expectancy is, is coming down to a matter of, well, possibly just a matter of hours. You know. It's just awful what's being done. And it's all being orchestrated. Uh, it's ironic that Ukraine is the center of all this because it's precisely the Ukraine Burisma scandal that uh, you know, prompts uh, the charge of bribery against the Biden family that they were actually laundering tons of money and getting tons of money out of the Ukraine. Uh, in fact, it makes you wonder where all those billions of dollars are going. Well, in fact, there are reports coming out of the, of the Ukraine now that not only is a lot of the money being pocketed by the, uh, the corrupt Ukrainian officials, <clears throat> and corruption goes back, it, it's, it's rife and it's... I mean, even Zelensky has had to fire, um, I forget how many of his officials now, many of them leading the war effort, he's had to fire them for corruption. Zelensky himself has done this. Uh, The man who's hiring the witches for the war effort. And um, it's also come to light that the billions of dollars that the American taxpayers are are, uh, putting in the hands of of Joe Biden and uh, the Biden uh, crowd, um, that that money is also um, uh, actually paying the, the salaries of first responders and small businesses in Ukraine to keep their, their business infrastructure going. So we're basically supporting the whole country. And so crucial is this <clears throat> that arrangements are made that even if the United States government shuts down because they can't approve a budget, the money is still going to go. The billions of dollars are still going to go to the Ukraine, regardless, <clears throat> even if they're not going to come to support our own country. That money is still going to go to Ukraine. And you wonder, where on earth is all this money going? Where are all these arms going? Now they're talking about sending Ab- Abrams tanks over there. And we've been warned that they are at risk and they can be destroyed over there. Well, that's what the Russians have been doing. <clears throat> but where do they wind up? I mean, they find out that armaments 
sent to Ukraine are being found in other parts of the world right now. So, you know, I, I think members of Congress are beginning, I mean, they have to be involved in a collusion process with the Biden regime because um, Congress controls the purse strings. Biden just can't uh, print off $3 billion and package it up and send it over there. Uh, maybe he could, I suppose he would try. But, you know, at least Congress has to have tacit approval to all this. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of uh, involvement of our own lawmakers involved in this. And uh, it's really rather appalling. There's a lot of suffering that is, that is, that is going on over this. And you, you see that the, uh, it's part of a, of, a, of a much larger plan. It's part of a much larger scheme that is now taking place. Um, but I'm not going to say any more about that. There, there's thought about what those, that scheme is, but we don't need to talk about it right here. Mm -hmm. So that is certainly one of the uh, concerns uh, for we're like, propping up a regime that, that is actually um, invoking witches and their incantations as weapons against their enemies. Uh, there are many Americans who would have a problem with that, I hope, anyway, <laughs> but uh, in any case. Um, but there are, there are quite a number of modern, uh, you know, present-day events going on, certainly. Um, perhaps the best thing to do with this time, though, would be just to uh, think about the, um, the North American Mars. Yeah, that's a great feast day. Mm -hmm. I uh, salute uh, Terry and Richard in, in uh, uh, St. Hilary's, my St. Hilary's Chapel. Uh, great devotion to St. Isaac Jogues and companions, St. Jean de Brebeuf. Uh, heroic martyrs came to our shores from France, where they had a rather comfortable life, um, I'm sure. Uh, they could have stayed there with their families in their homeland and um, still been very honored, had honorable careers in the church, um, but they chose to come as missionaries, all Jesuits, uh, Jesuit missionaries <clears throat> to our uh, eastern shores, now New York and into lower, uh, southern well, Canada, um, and they all died. And the the accounts of their deaths are horrific. For those who've done any reading on the North American martyrs, St. Jean de Beboeuf, who is actually the, the leader of the mission, and St. Isaac Jog, who died in New York, in Auriesville area, um, uh, the accounts of their martyrdom are absolutely horrific. Um, really eye-openers. And we, we realize what these men endured for the love of God and for the love of souls. Uh, they embraced all of that. The day they left for the missions, they, they already uh, accepted all that. They said with our Lord, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And so all of the hardships they, they endured here, they all endured them for the sake of the salvation of souls, uh, offering everything for the glory of God and seeking to make God known and loved here by the Hurons and by the, uh, by the Iroquois. There were 
certainly genuine converts, but um, they invested a lot of uh, blood and tears in this uh, country of ours, which didn't exist even when they arrived here. We need to turn to them now. You know, we need to appeal to them now. They came here looking to save souls. And that same zeal which motivated them is not only still with them, it's even more intensified that they are in heaven and they see God and glorify God in heaven. They have an even greater burning desire that souls be saved and can have the joy and the glory that they have now in heaven. They want us all to come and share that with them. That's what love does, you know, want to share, share what is good. And so we know that, that those eight North American martyrs have a particular connection with us, and uh, we have to ask them now to intercede for us, our country, for those now who live on the soil that they came to hallow with their, with their own pure blood, their own holy blood. We have to ask God to hearken to their prayers to, and to, uh, to bless and protect our country. Mm -hmm. uh, they found a certain savagery when they came here, but there's a certain savagery at work in our country now that goes beyond anything that the Iroquois or the Hurons knew. Um, there are things that are happening in our country right now that I think would even shock the Iroquois. Hard to imagine, but I think it's true. So uh, we really need to ask these holy martyrs to intercede for us right now. Absolutely. Father, for anyone who uh, wanted to read more about them, we have uh, we post day by day on our website wcbohio.com. We post um, different writings from the Butler's Lives of the Saints, and they have a very nice entry mm -hmm. on the North American martyrs there. But we also post the um, the or the daily orations from the from the Mass uh, proper's each day. And I th Good. think Good. the um, I personally found the uh, the prayers for the the Mass today of the North American martyrs mm -hmm. to be very very powerful. Very inspiring so anyone could go on our they website and read it. they could even just just pray those prayers um pray the the collect for example of the mass today um as a prayer to those north american martyrs yes. so. well there are authors who've written a very fascinating <clears throat> yeah. and uh very powerful hard-hitting books about the work of these martyrs which are very inspiring to us we need that inspiration today so Absolutely. i think saint among savages and there are a number of other Quite a number of other books that can be gotten. So yeah. you can also uh, find the writings of their their journals, the chronicles they made of their of their missionary efforts here. Very good. Well, Father, thank you uh, for everything. Appreciate your time again tonight. God bless you. Well, Tom, God bless you too, yep. and all of our viewers and listeners. Absolutely. Thanks to all of our viewers for watching this episode of What the Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you. God bless you.